is that sometimes it seems like my main point is the thing that nobody gets and the peripheral point is the thing they get, or even better, a point that you weren't making is what they get. I think I told one of the Bible classes this one time that at my vicarage congregation, a lady came up to me and said, it's like you always say in your sermons, vicar, that uh, just let go and let God, which is something I've never said before, apart from telling that story. It's like, that's not what I said, you missed the point. I'm sure those of you who have ever had to explain something to somebody have had a little bit of frustration when they don't get it because they were listening to the part that didn't matter and the part that mattered the most just kind of went in one ear and out the other. Last week we spoke about God's promise to Jacob, his promise to Israel, about being blessed or cursed and, and how they often focused, many people do, on that blessing and cursing over and against the seed, which is Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Well, tonight I want to consider that problem of focusing on the land and the name of Israel instead of on the seed of Abraham, the seed of Israel, Jesus, by whom the whole world is blessed. If you talk to a lot of Christians out there today, if you just bring it up uh, about the blessing of Abraham in the Old Testament, they will more often than not, in many cases, especially if they're not Lutheran or Catholic or Presbyterian, they'll start talking to you about the modern nation state of Israel. We spoke of this a little bit last week. They might even go so far as to quote passages from the book of Genesis and Numbers and so forth and hear about this blessing of Abraham and his seed. And whoever blesses you, I will be a blessing to and I'm going to give you this land forever and so forth. And they will take those verses and they will then apply them to the country we now know in the Middle East on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. Now, it's understandable to some degree why this sort of confusion happens with people, okay? Number one, their name is Israel. And the Old Testament talks extensively about the people of Israel. And also number two, well, it's very possible and indeed easy to take any passage from the Bible, Old or New Testament, and look at it in isolation by itself and have a complete misunderstanding of where it fits in the world, where it fits in our lives, But we know, of course, you must take all of Scripture as a whole to get the picture of what the Lord is trying to tell us, to show us. It's very easy to cherry pick a verse here, a chapter there. It's very easy to zoom in on something and say this, this is what it is all about, this is what it means. But when you do such biblical interpretation, well, you're missing a broader context, a context of what the Lord would have us know and believe. Here's an example taken from the first lesson, Ezekiel tonight. Hear the words again. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. Now, talking about this land and dwelling in that land, it's talking about Canaan forever. It sounds a lot like an unbreakable covenant. You use the word forever, and, well, that seems to be what it says. But that is to miss the broader context of the Old Testament scriptures, which give, with that promise, stipulations, qualifications, and conditions. If you read Ezekiel 37, it sounds like the land always has, is, and will belong to ethnic Israel the sons of Jacob, sons of Judah, as it were. And if that's the case, well, it does seem then 
And there's a clear side for Christians to be on in every single modern Middle Eastern conflict from 1948 onward. But I would say this, that's only if you don't know or if you ignore the rest of what God has to say about Israel and the promised land in the Old Testament. Yes, God did promise Israel the land of Canaan, but on this condition that they be faithful to him, that they are faithful to his word. If you look up Deuteronomy chapter 28, go home and read the whole chapter. It doesn't take that long. You'll see these very clear words that the Lord says to Israel. He says, if you're blessed and you'll, if you're faithful, you'll be blessed. I'll give you all of these things I promised and then more. But if you are unfaithful, and he says these words verbatim, then you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering, the land of Canaan. He says the same thing in so many words a couple of chapters later. But if your heart, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear me, the Lord, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you, as a nation, will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Thus saith the Lord. He gives the same threat. It's a promise, but it's really a threat in Leviticus and Throughout the major prophets, Jeremiah 7 and the minor prophets, it's simple. Fidelity to God is a prerequisite for the blood sons of Jacob holding on to that little piece of real estate on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. It's plain to see. The ethnic sons of Jacob get the land if they are faithful, and yet how has it played out? They were anything but. Just a quick analogy for you. You understand how this works in the business world. It's like a mortgage. If you are faithful to the contract, you pay on time, you make the payments, right? You get to keep the house. And if you don't do that, the bank takes the house. It's as simple as that. We know how Israel's story is played out. They were unfaithful. Later on in the Old Testament, they were unfaithful time and time again, and then in a major way. And so the northern tribes, they went off into oblivion. Ephraim and Manasseh and all of them. And then eventually Judah did not learn from their mistake and they were taken captive, captive into Babylon. But of course they repented and they did return to the land so that God's messianic promise, his promise to send a savior through them to the world could be fulfilled. But then what happened? Several centuries later that Christ did come. He came, the promise fulfilled and what did Judah do? They rejected him. Not just rejected, they crucified him. They crucified the Lord of glory and so confident were they, the blood sons of Jacob, who made, made then and make now so much about that little piece of land, so confident were they in their own righteousness in doing this that at the pivotal moment they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. We are so sure that we are doing the right thing. So my question, Christians, is this. According to God's word, according to the Bible, do they have a divine, biblical claim to that land that believing Christians must support? Is it still their birthright, according to God? Or in the words of Jeremiah, have they forsaken the fountain of living waters? 
You see, I'm just trying to drive home tonight, in particular, that the central message of the Bible is not that you, as Christians, need to support the ethno-nationalistic secular state of Israel in the year 2023 and beyond. You see, the Bible is not to be used, especially not the New Testament, those of us who know the fullness of the scriptures, it's not to be used as a buttress for the Zionist dream and project, but rather the central message of the Bible always has been, always is and will be, life and salvation given to the world through the person of Jesus Christ. The word by whom all things were made, the flesh of God that came and dwelt among us. Just as Ezekiel prophesied that God would dwell with his people, Jesus fulfilled. God's dwelling place is with his people. We are his and he is our God. That's the point. Not reading the newspapers, trying to see which prophecy is fulfilled today and which one next. And if only Israel can expand to the east and get the land of Jordan and up north and get Syria and Lebanon. No. The point of the Bible is this, that God came down into the world. He came down to be with us, to save us. That's the point of it. That Jesus brought us grace and truth and he has a glory forever as the only son of the Father. That's the Christian message. That is the gospel and that is itself, that message that I proclaim to you, that's good news in a way that a little bit of real estate and geopolitics can never be good news. And so Christians in Advent and in Christmas and beyond, look to Jesus. Don't get lost in the peripheral details that don't really matter that much. Don't focus on transitory side points. All they ever were or are, as much as they were, was supporting the main act, the main point of the Bible, Jesus Christ. So look to him, our God who has come into the world, who has brought with him life and salvation. Amen.